episode 135 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, back this week, joined by the entire gang, Ryan Topp, Paul Noonan, and Brad Ford. How are you guys holding up this time? Oh, you know, just fine. Getting used to never leaving the house. Starting to enjoy it. Stockholm Syndrome setting in. All that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, gone, driven me a little less mad in the last couple of weeks. You know, it, it really is. It took some adjusting, but now I understand, you know, eventually cages are okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is that is Stockholm Syndrome, right? You start to identify with your captors. Yep. You kind of just lose all concept of time, right? So you're like, what day is this? Yeah, every I, every day I'm working, I'm like, is it Monday or Friday? And my wife's like, it's Wednesday. I'm like, damn. <laughs> Do I have to work today? Is the Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, it, it proceeds. Yeah. It, it continues on. We uh, we had some fun this week, did some podcast stuff that's all out there for people. So that was nice. Yeah, I've been out a couple of weeks here, but you guys have been uh, busy while I've been out and doing some fun things uh, like the Major League Watch Along. If you guys haven't listened to that yet, you know, that's in the archives now. You can always go back and fire it up whenever you want to watch Major League, uh, which is, is always a good time. So lots of cool stuff to check out in our archives. In the meantime, we are sponsored this week again by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know their classic beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Uh, go and grab a six-pack on your next run to the grocery store. You can also get a deal on Carbon 4 merch online using our promo code MKETailgate at Carbon4.com. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at Patreon.com slash MKETailgate. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You'll also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods through the Packers offseason, including a lot of NFL draft stuff this week. I know Paul said he's reached the point of quarantine where he actually has strong opinions on the NFL draft. <laughs> if, if that's an indication on anything, uh, we should be in store for a good week. Paul, what do you what do you got in the works? So we're going to have a mini pod this upcoming week, um, just talking about what you can know about the draft and what you can't, talking about... Uh, I, I do have strong opinions on the draft, which I shouldn't because nobody knows anything. But fortunately, Matt Miller, who's NFL draft scout on Twitter, snapped me out of it by posting nonsense all week. And we're going to talk about why it's nonsense, uh, why you could ignore guys like that, and uh, what you can actually know about draftees coming up and some Packer you know, potential guys that they might be looking at. Though nobody, of course, knows that either. So um, we'll have a full pod the week after with the whole gang. And... Uh, Acme Packing Company on draft night is actually going to do live coverage of it along the lines of what we do for the the movie and game coverage that we've done so far. So keep an eye out for all that. Yeah, and Brad and I did do a minor league extra this week. We got finally around to the March one. We had to reschedule with Eric Longenhagen because the original time for it was the night that they shut down baseball. So we kind of <laughs> had to put that off for a little while. But we did have Eric on. We talked about his book, Future Value. And you can listen to an excerpt of it on the regular feed here. Or you can uh, get the full interview. There's an extra about half hour worth of, of discussion on there. A lot of it brewer centered uh, where you can listen to that as a bone glove member level. <laughs> yeah, so, so a lot of good content over on our Patreon page. Uh, please go check it out. Sign up if you uh, we know, you know, money's tight for a lot of people right now. But if you can spare it. We'd appreciate it. And we've got something else along those lines we can talk about later on in the podcast. Uh, but a reminder that patrons do get question priority here on the program and you get a personal shout out when you do become a patron. And as always, even if you're not a patron, you can help people find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
All right. So a lot of talk still ongoing this week in the past week about baseball, trying to figure out how to play games this year. We actually had uh, Dr. Fauci weigh in on it. Uh, he was asked questions about when can sports resume and and that sort of thing in the last week. And he seemed to endorse the plan of playing games isolated in Arizona, you know, provided a few things. If all players were kept isolated in hotels, they were tested every week and games were played with no fans. You know, it's been a few weeks of this going back and forth now, I guess. Ryan, are you any more hopeful that games will be played at all this year? I don't know. I'm. I think that the fact that they ditched that Florida plan so quickly was interesting that they just decided, no, we're not going to be even entertaining the idea of, of playing in Florida. So I don't know. It, it feels still very uh, in the, in the early stages of planning of this, there's still so many hurdles that need to be cleared. Like the idea of being able to test every player every week, like just being able to do that alone is not something I believe that really can be done right now. So we have hurdles to get over before we can even get to that point. I, I think it's still premature, but again, and we've talked about this in the past, they do have to be making plans like this. You have to be formulating ideas and, and coming up with plans well before you're actually going to do something because it takes time to get something like this off the ground. So even if it is premature to like really get invested in and think, oh, this could really happen, it's still something that you know bears watching and getting your hopes up at least a little bit for. Yeah, Paul, I guess what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's the same. Like it, this is still all speculation and to, to actually play games again, we really just need more robust testing, and um, that's still hypothetical. So it is smart to make plans for what might happen, and it's good they're doing that and doing logistics work. I mean, we'd all be in better shape if a lot of other people did the same kind of logistics work that baseball is doing right now. It's also fine to be hopeful about it. I mean, there there are people, there are other countries where baseball is being played, so it's not impossible. But the U.S. doesn't have the infrastructure for it right now. It doesn't look like they will in the near future, but that'll change. Uh, I, I think fine to be hopeful. Still a little skeptical it's going to get done this year because there are so many challenges that have to be overcome to do it. But uh, I'm glad they're planning for it and making do like that. It, it is a possibility. Yeah, Brad, I guess. Are you still hopeful or are you thinking this is kind of spitballing, trying to find a solution while I can? <laughs> I think as we get further, it just becomes more and more difficult to be hopeful, not in general, but just about the sports aspect of this side of thing. Because even, you know, at the at the best case scenario, the entire time has been about, you know, spreading out the spread of the disease. And if we're still in that timeline, even if you're limiting it to just players and staff you we've talked about this the last time there's still so many people involved in that process so like ryan said you still need robust testing where you can regularly check on these people and ensure that you have a safe environment for everyone involved and it's unfair to anyone to not have that and have complete security that that is 100 the fact so it's just difficult when you have that type of standard to expect anything to come out of it you know, am I hopeful for in maybe getting August and September? Yeah, but I much rather they all just be safe. Like that's the most important thing. So until we have a testing system, and it, as Paul pointed out on Twitter, it looks like they listened to us. They uh, yeah, right. They, they started supporting <laughs> testing, 
and you know contributing to the efforts to get testing to be a little bit more robust they did uh, they're ramping up their own testing framework to try and get more testing without taking it out of the general population good yeah. job baseball football should join in if that can be part of the solution awesome uh so right now like my the optimist in me says like ah, maybe we'll get in august that'd be cool at least we get some baseball still don't understand why we did our fantasy draft um <laughs> <laughs> but it's very speculative and the safety of everyone involved is substantially more important i think to all of us yeah i think those safety concerns are definitely valid and you're seeing a lot of players even speak up about these plans as they're formulated to you know any group of large people you're going to have a difference of opinions right so some some of the guys seem to be saying great i'm in favor of anything that can get us on the field and and play and entertain people and help people take their minds off of this Others are saying, you know, I'm worried about my own safety, too, or they have other circumstances where the idea of quarantining in a hotel for several months just seems implausible. I think, was it Ryan Zimmerman or somebody was saying his his wife is due to deliver a baby in the summer, and he basically said, you're insane if, if you think I'm going to stay away and not go see her during that, you know, and that would break out the quarantine, so... I think there's a lot of discussion that still needs to happen. And, you know, obviously to to Ryan and Paul's point, like you need to talk about it now because right now we don't know when it would be feasible to play and you just need to be ready to go when you get to that point. And I think the thing with that, too, is I don't think you can make it like, hey, you have to come. Like you definitely have to allow people to be out. You look at the extreme side of things and there's, you know, Cookie Carrasco for the Indians just right. he just from look yeah exactly exactly so yeah i mean those are the kind of things too where i think yeah brad you're right i think maybe they need to see who's comfortable playing too and kind of build the rosters off of that so yeah. in in a lot of ways if we i think if we do see baseball it's not going to be obviously not going to be the baseball that we're used to seeing you know it'll be some sort of baseball entertainment but you know maybe we don't get all the star players and Speaking of that, maybe the divisions even look a little bit different. One of the proposals floated out there in the last week was realigning teams to play at their spring training facilities, and then divisions kind of break down into who it would make sense to play based on Cactus and Grapefruit Leagues. In that proposal, the Brewers would play in the Cactus League Northwest with the San Diego Padres, Seattle Mariners, Texas Rangers, and Kansas City Royals. Obviously, you know, you look at the, the strength of there, it, it would be a pretty good layout for the Brewers if they do play that. <laughs> it's hard not uh, to smile when you see that. That really yeah, does exactly. look awesome. Exactly. In that case, I, playoff races and a lot of other things would look a lot different. And, and that kind of leads us to our first Patreon question of the day from Jay Google. What do you think of the new division realignment in Arizona? Uh, Brad, let's start with you. <laughs> right. Well, obviously, as we talked about, it is pretty favorable only the padres i think are the competition for the brewers in that situation uh but it's i think in a season that is going to be significantly shortened it adds a little bit of fun to something that is otherwise very disappointing so adding that mix of seeing teams you are never going to see in your division again in an environment that will hopefully never happen again is something that would add a level of entertainment to to make it more enjoyable. You know, getting back and seeing players that, like, you know, regularly seeing Joey Gallo will be fun. Regularly seeing, uh, there's no one on the Kansas City Royals. Well, <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield's good. 
Whitmerfield yeah, is good. Whitmerfield, yeah. Brett Phillips. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you have there's a lot of good players that you don't get to see otherwise. <laughs> there's especially on the San Diego Padres. Obviously, we see them somewhat regularly, but having them in close proximity, getting to see players like Tatis would be fantastic. And it just adds a little twist to it to make it more interesting for everyone involved. It's it's an interesting idea. I get why they would want to do it. We talked last time a little bit about how Arizona still hasn't really had the full impact that it will likely have. And it is still on the lower end of the scale as the virus ramps up in that area. So it becomes a little scary to think if it would be safe for the players in that environment. I'd be more but, worried if I was the Florida teams personally, but I think very selfishly. So I'm only thinking from <laughs> the Brewers perspectives and Yankees, Phillies, Blue Jays, all those grapefruit league teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the, the grapefruit thing has already sort of passed like that, yeah. that already, it was already going to be more difficult because those teams are not proximate to each other. The way that yeah, everything in the Valley in Arizona, there all those teams are within what? What's the longest trip? An hour, hour and a half between two of those? Like you can something yeah. like that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you don't have to have like road trips the way right. that like because everybody could stay at like one kind of. You could be at a central location and just go to the spots in Florida. They're further apart, and it just it yep. wouldn't be the same. Yeah, it turns out that it's easier to build a bunch of baseball complexes in a desert than a swamp. Indeed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, Paul, what, what are your thoughts on this plan, whether it's just pure fun or do you think logistically it could work? Uh, I think it's a pretty good plan, all things considered. And it, it would be fun. Like I, having just a random season of weird realignment is is a, a fun thing to do. Um, the Brewers certainly have favorable uh, matchups out of that, too. So that's fun. I'm sure all the complaining from teams with harder divisions would be fun. So uh, like I like it. I like the creativity of it. I like that they're kind of willing to go to this well and kind of any well to, to make things happen. Like, you know, baseball is very traditional. It's easy to see them being stick in the muds about ideas like this. And, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be neat. Uh, first of all, if it happens, it, well, it won't be a full return to normalcy. If they could actually pull it off, it would be at least a partial return to normalcy. And 10 years down the road, we can always look back on it as, hey, remember that weird season when we had the Royals in our division? So that's fun, too. And we should take this as an opportunity to actually learn who some Royals are. <laughs> well, since apparently we only know one. Oh, um, Salvador Perez. Oh, he, I, I actually, he's is back. He, is he actually still a Royal? Yeah, he mm -hmm. was injured last year. Yep. Jorge yeah. Soler led the league in home runs last year. He did. Oh, yeah. He, it's like I kind of know who a lot of guys are who are on the Royals, but I'm not confident they're on the Royals. So that's my I don't even want to look it up. Eric Hosmer would be... No way. He's, been gone for He's a Padre. He's not a Padre. Like three years, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it, it would definitely be fun to see. I guess, Ryan, what are, what are your feelings on that? Yeah. I mean, it would be just interesting from a trying to figure things out perspective, like looking at how this would affect competition and all that. It it would be interesting to see. I don't know exactly how they would even work like the game times. I have a feeling that they might need to, especially in the, the extreme heat of July and August would maybe need to work on starting them either early or late. So we might see some morning baseball. Right. Yeah. Where, I saw some yeah. critics of the plan mentioning that it, in those months, it's even over a hundred starting at 8 PM. So it's a tricky thing to pull off weather. -wise. Right. 
Yeah. Isn't right. it funny that they're not okay with it when it involves the major league team, but when you have the 18 year olds going out and doing it, they have no <laughs> issue with it. It's that union representation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is also a matter of the money that's invested into those players. There, people are going to be more careful with those players just because yeah. so much more has been invested into them than the younger players. I'm not saying that's right. That's just that's the way it works. So, do you think that they would want players and everyone involved to be wearing like minimal PPE, like masks? That's you think thought, yeah. you think that would be an easy thing? And here you would ask players to wear masks, and they flip out whenever you change their batting helmet. Right. That's true. But they do have to yeah. be kind of by each other on the field and you don't want stuff spreading. So, yeah, I, I think that would be very important. Yeah, well, there might be on board. There have been some things suggested in that way that the players wouldn't sit in the dugout, that they would all be six feet apart in sitting up stand. in the stands. Yeah. So there's been some <laughs> talk of things like that and maybe making some changes to the rules as far as stealing bases and things because that that is a <laughs> time to run around within the <laughs> speed stadium. You can't yeah. cover the base instead uh the catcher throws and has to hit second base. And if he hits it, even if you slide into it, you're out. Think Maybe it's an excuse to get rid of umpires and just go full robot umps. So, well that has also know, been that, talked about. On, that is one of the proposals, yeah. 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 Just have an umpire watching a video screen. They can call it up. They don't need to be there. If if us Joe Schmo is sitting at home can call balls and strikes, they can do the same thing, right? <laughs> Just have them have them zoom in same and thing. uh yeah, exactly. I have um, the perfect strike zoom. zoom. There we go. Yeah. What, exactly. what you do is uh on every third strike you have a five minute Twitter pull. It'll really help pace the play. <laughs> <laughs> there we go yeah i mean a lot of this is is at least you know giving us something fun to think about i think um did i see this week fangrass even reran some like zips projections to try to do uh standings and the brewers ended up i think winning their division not surprisingly but... they should yes yeah yeah i mean if it's uh, a, especially if it's an unbalanced schedule yeah they really should exactly win that division. <laughs> yeah i think i think you know in that lineup in that division the rangers might surprise some but I think that the main takeaway other than the Brewers were the Padres uh, just being happy to be far, far away from the Dodgers. So Dodgers yeah, and Angels. Are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, this is just something fun to think about and fun to think about the possibilities. And these are unprecedented times. Right. So I think it's at least encouraging to see the league think outside the box you know yeah, agreed. i'm not i'm not anticipating they're gonna do anything like the nba and have like a remote horse competition or something fun like that <laughs> backyard home run derby with joey gallo maybe i don't know although that that clip of uh joe kelly throwing his change up through his window this week was pretty, was awesome. pretty good yeah uh did you see uh, joey gallo's like four minute rant about the photo they used for mlb the show that was blasted <laughs> <laughs> that that tournament is is like the kind of thing that the the league can be doing right now to yep. like do it all the time, not even just now, but like that at least gives you a, a face and a, a voice for the players. Right. Like, right. Especially and especially the during the, players. during the off season, that's so easy, right? A lot of players have been streaming now anyway, because it's such an easy way for celebrities to make quick money on the side. Yeah. I mean, it, it's cool. You see the personality Gallo, I think, has been kind of the, the star of all of this. Cause he's been yeah, going right. off on, on multiple uh, streams like this. I I saw another one where all these pitchers were talking about facing Gallo. And <laughs> I think it was Amir Garrett who was like, he's over two lifetime against me. And I'm proud of that fact. So it's that kind of thing that 
kind of increasing the engagement. Yeah. You get the Blake Snell uh, slap dick prospect comments, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Blake Snell. So, yeah, I think that's the kind of really fun stuff that I think can kind of help people get through this and, and take their minds off things. We do have a few Patreon questions we want to get to this week. So let's just jump right into those. Jeremy Nachman has an interesting question. Hater has always reminded him of Randy Johnson. Do you think Hater still has a theoretical ceiling of the kind of starter who could throw a 20 strikeout complete game? So that his first question there, A, do you think Hater still has that kind of starter potential? Second question, if Randy Johnson were 30 years younger, do you think there's any way he'd be allowed to develop into what he eventually became? Which is a really interesting question because the early start of his career was real rocky. Brad, let's start with you. Do you think Hader still has that kind of ceiling as a starter? And do you think Randy Johnson would have ever been allowed to leave the bullpen? I think if Hader had that potential, they would be trying to get him to that point. Yes, relievers are incredibly valuable, especially multi-inning relievers who can dominate, like Josh Hader has shown to be an incredible weapon for the Brewers. But the big difference in the two is you're looking at a guy with three pitches versus a guy with two. Uh, you know, Hader has shown <laughs> that he really cannot throw his changeup as a reliable third option. And Randy Johnson had you know, an amazing fastball in a time when fastball velo wasn't necessarily that high unless you were in the top tier of starting pitchers. And then especially to be from the left side. Now, 96 is kind of common from the left side. Still a little bit more rare, but not as rare as it was in that era of baseball. Josh Hader, you know, when he loses one of his pitches, which, you know, every now and then he can't throw the slider. Every now and then he can't put the fastball where he wants to, so he's got to try to get people whiff on the slider. And that's a big deal, especially when you're a starter, to have another option to go to. So I I think if he had that ceiling, there's a reason. I mean, he was developed as a starter coming through the minors. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too, Brad, is just like the fact that he was developed as a starter and they decided that it really wasn't the role for him because they saw what happened to his velocity and the stuff once he got into what would have been, you know, the middle innings, like the fourth inning, the fifth inning, like where he started to drop off the second time through the order through the order. Yep. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. he just wasn't as good. And so they kind of decided that the best way to use him was to have him be a dominant, no shit, absolute stud out of the bullpen, then have him try to be a, you know, passable, mediocre starter. Because not everybody has those two choices, right? Not everybody can be as good as he is out of the bullpen. So, And that to me is why the other part of the question is Randy Johnson would still definitely be a starter because everything maintained. He had three pitches. So I teams still want to try and get good starters as reliable as relievers are. There's still value in having a good, durable starter who – is as dominant as Randy Johnson. So if there was the fringe possibility, you still try it. There's another big difference between the two too, which is um, there's always been questions about haters medicals and his ability to actually hold up being a starter. Whereas Johnson really didn't have that. Uh, The better comp might actually be to Chris sale who the white Sox pushed through those same concerns and made a starter. That wasn't that long ago. I'm not sure Chris sale actually gets to be a starter in a lot of scenarios these days, um, just with managing his workload. 
So I think there's a better chance he ends up more in the haterish role in a different time period than than Johnson. But everybody's right. Like Hater just doesn't have the the actual other pitches to be to get out of the pen. He just doesn't. Like you see what happens to him when he misses. He gets hammered. <laughs> he's a weird guy. Uh, he's a very strange pitcher. Johnson, yeah, definitely still a starter. Um, but I, I think like Sale, maybe not um, in a different timeline. Right. Right. And Sale has a lot more similarities in yeah. You know, similar frame, similar arm angle, uh, similar strengths. Like they they compare a lot more favorably, I think, than Randy Johnson. I mean, Randy Johnson, uh, especially his command issues were always kind of attributed to he's this near seven foot monster on the mound. Uh, And it's always been harder for tall guys to find the zone uh, just because there's a lot more length to kind of control and it becomes harder to control your body. Yeah, those levers are just that much longer. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I I, I think you guys kind of nailed the nailed the points there on the head and you know the the height difference too i think was a significant factor in some of randy johnson's pitches too you know you mentioned his slider which is miles and miles better than josh haters could ever hope to be and partially that that's because he was coming down on a 610 frame and it just moved so much damian miller who caught him in arizona shout out you know hometown shout out for me uh, <laughs> former brewer uh he, he always called it a Super Nintendo slider because it's the kind of thing that you only could see in a video game. Yep. Um, so I think just to compare Hater to that is a little bit unfair, too. Just on those two pitches alone, Randy Johnson was legitimately a freak. It took him a while to get uh, to the level he was at, but he was given every opportunity because he had the stuff, right? Yeah, right. I mean, and he had, like the changeup was still a positive pitch. Like, it, you know, it's rare for your third pitches to still be positive. It, and that's the sign of like a premium pitcher. And he still had positive value in his changeup. And even his splitter was rarely a negative for him um, as a nice fourth pitch. You could kind of work in there. Yeah. I mean, Johnson right. is just there isn't really anybody else like him. Do you guys remember when Ryan Anderson was coming up and it was very tempting? Uh, he got like put it by Baseball America, got put into like the top five prospects because he was a 610, 6'11 lefty who was with the Mariners. And everybody's like, he's the next Randy Johnson. And you know what happened? He never was able to throw a strike. Like, well, it and the guy I think of in terms of Brewers history, recent Brewers history is Johnny Helwig. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, guys have huge velocity, could not find the zone. And I think he was 6'10. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was 6'9 or 6'10. Yeah. Absolutely. So, another Patreon question here from Adam Post. He's wondering how we've all been maintaining our recommended daily allowance of baseball without games being played. <laughs> Ooh, can uh, I go first? Can I go yeah. First? Paul, Paul, um, jump on that. Sure. So, um, uh, on recommendation of um, Twitter friend, easy. Um, I got Baseball Highlights 2045, which is a baseball tabletop board game uh, about baseball being played in the future. It's um, baseball is just a veneer over the top of it. It's a standard like Germany type board game, but it's really fun. And it's a two player board game. So, it's often hard to find good two player board games out there, but this is one of them. You could even run a full season on it. We found some people online doing it. It's just a deck building game. Anyway, we've only, I've only played a couple times, but it's super fun. So highly recommend it. Also, I bought the Japanese version of the Major League um, video game because they didn't make an American one. Uh, but I haven't gotten it yet. But I'll uh, I'll take some video of that when I get it in. So um, awesome. We might I, have to I, do an in depth review of that. Yeah. Awesome. I also, I realized like my my super cool um, HD Nintendo that I have has a Famicom slot on it, so I can play Japanese games. Might as well take advantage of it. So that's what I'm doing. I'm playing crazy things that are like baseball, but not actually baseball. 
<laughs> right. How about you? So between MLB Network, old games mostly, and a few on FS Wisconsin, I watched uh, a bunch of the 1982 NLCS and World Series, which the World Series games were the ones they showed were the good ones. So I, I did right. see wins <laughs> by the Brewers. Uh, but also been playing a lot of OOTP and that's been, so I, I broke down, I originally accidentally bought the 2020 version, which was actually the 2019 version because that's how they, right. these there things work. Right. Yep. Yep. Tricks me every year. Yep. Uh, yeah. So then I had to go and buy the second one. And once I bought the second one, the one from actually this year and started playing it, uh, I went, I had already kind of familiarized myself with the game and I was way down the rabbit hole at that point. And uh, it's been interesting watching i'm in the second year of the the brewer season so i'm in the 2021 brewer season and luis urias is breaking out nicely for me so that's good like good, he has good. turned into a star but uh brandon woodruff has not been as good as i hoped he would be and yeah. i've had some injury issues that have generally kept me from being very good so just go in the back end, edit his stats. Everything will be fine. <laughs> right. Yeah, I should probably do that. I've So I've been doing the uh, weekly uh, Sims with the uh, 2020 Brewers in Out of the Park Baseball. And the uh, first couple of weeks have not been kind to the Brewers. Every Everybody who pitches sucks. Uh, we had a game in the past week where uh, position players picked up four innings. Uh, that was fun. Including Ryan Braun throwing an inning and a third. Oh, yeah. Shut up, baseball. He's definitely one of the people you grab for that job. <laughs> exactly. So uh, if that's any indication on how my Brewers season is going, uh, yeah. Uh, Brad, how about you? So honestly, I am a guy who watches on probably four nights a week, three to four baseball games in a given night at a single time sometimes. Uh, and I generally get very burned out by mid-August. So I'm kind of enjoying a – I'm taking this time to be like, okay, this is one of the spring slash summers where I don't feel compelled to watch a ton of baseball. Let, like, let's just enjoy this rare moment for what it is, of, like time to spend more time with my family, what I would normally shove my wife aside and be like, no, baseball, leave. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I'm enjoying it from a different stance. And like this is a rarity – uh, normally I would be like, you know, nose deep in the minor league system along with the Brewers uh, team. So I'm enjoying it just from an angle where I don't normally get this time to relax. Let's just relax and let it be. Yeah, I mean, that's a good perspective to have, too. Yeah, and, you know, family time is always good. Uh, one more uh, Patreon question real quick before we go from Jay Google. Uh, it's kind of a. He asked this before, but it's kind of fun to look at. He's asking, what's the best non-playoff or opening day game you've been at? Paul, how about you take that first? So I have three I want to do real, real quick. Um, so I was at the Edwin Masonette Grand Slam game, Ooh. Um, which was a fun one to be at. Though I will confess I was getting beer during Edwin Masonette's Grand Slam um, <laughs> because I was like, well, Edwin Masonette's up, so I can go get beer now. Um, bad decision by me. Um, don't do that. And then um, I took my my daughter's first game was the the Yelich Braun combo um, walk off last year. So oh, that was that was a great game. That was yeah. a great game. Um, but the, the, one of my favorites, just a random kind of midseason game, was a Chris Carpenter Giovanni Gallardo matchup. And I actually have it here, but it's not scrolling up fast enough. It was a one nothing game. Um, and what I liked about it, um, it was May twenty fifth, two thousand nine. Um, the Brewers won one to nothing. Um, and the, the cool part about it was Gardo had a little bit of a rough first inning, as he often did. 
But after that, he and Chris Carpenter um, combined to retire the next 27 batters in a row. Um, wow. So there was like a, a, a secret perfect game in the middle of the game. Um, <laughs> and, and then um, the Brewers walked it off on a Casey McGee reaching on an error. Um, Braun moving him over. Uh, and then um, Bill Hall walk off single scoring McGee at the, in the end of it. So I do um, remember that game, actually. It, it was a, it was a fun game. It. So even though it was one to nothing, because it was a Gallardo start, it did take like the full three hours. Actually, I should actually look at that. I, I, maybe it didn't, but it seemed like it took forever because that guy worked slower than everybody else in the world. Carpenter just rifled through it, though. Not, not too bad, 226. Um, but uh, just a super fun, like, small ball pitch, pitcher's duel. And it was, a day, of course, a day game at Miller Park, so you had the shadows and um, all that nonsense, too. So I, I, I don't know why I remember that game so well, but it was really fun to be at. Sounds like a peak 2009 Brewers game where yep, he reached totally. on an error, <laughs> winning run reached on an error, accidental pitching yep. masterpiece. So that's a good one. Uh, Ryan, how about you? So I had a couple. One last year, and it stands up because it was very recent and also just because of what happened on Twitter. Uh, the Brewers-Cubs game from, was it the 27th of July, where uh, Craig Kimbrell came in and I put on Twitter, I've been talking so much shit about Craig Kimbrell. I really hope that he blows this. And then he proceeds to give up a quick uh, tying home run to was Yelich and then a walk off to Keston Hira to end the game. And so that was that was absolutely one of my favorites. But going in the way back machine, I actually had to really dig and dig and dig for this one was a game from May 12th, 2008 against the Cardinals. And James, you were saying you kind of remembered this one, right? I think so. Jump into the details. It, it sounds vaguely similar, familiar to me, but give the details and maybe I can decide. So, yeah. So the Brewers had this was uh, Wainwright at pretty much the peak of his powers, though. He didn't have a huge season this year because he missed some time to injury, but he was still very good. And uh, but they just absolutely they lit him up in the fifth or in the third inning for five runs. So they took a, a six to one lead. And I just remember you know, you don't expect to absolutely, you know, throttle Wainwright like that at that time. You're, you know, you're expecting right. to have to, if you're going to eke out a win, it's going to be just kind of bit by bit. And just the way that inning played out, I remember it being so much fun. And I remember going downstairs to either go to the bathroom or, or grab a beer and then coming back out to the stands, um, kind of in the middle of it and like standing on the concourse and somebody, you know, got a hit to, to go through or whatever. And, uh, just everybody absolutely losing their minds while we're all kind of standing there milling around. So it it just sticks out in my memory as being, you know, a, I, we were talking about this, that a lot of the games that are memorable are games that were like for bad reasons. Like when you remember the game, it's often because of bad reasons. And I could tell you, right. you know, a lot of the worst games I've been to just because they stick out in the memory a little bit more. The fun ones seem to just kind of disappear into the ether a little bit. So, but yeah, that one, that one for some reason sticks out in my mind. Uh, that was, yeah, what did I say? It was May 12th, 2008. A lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brad, what, what's your favorite game that you've been to? I have several as well. Uh, I remember rushing the day they called the Obani Gardo up. I got tickets to make that game. I rushed and got like tickets for myself, my brother, and his girlfriend. Drove up. Uh, Giovanni, you know, pitched well enough and he hit a double over Barry Bond's head, uh, which was nice. always enjoyable. 
at the time I, you know, was part of the bandwagon of Boo Bonds, even though now I'm like, no, he's actually like the best baseball player ever, steroids or not. Uh, <laughs> but actually, the other, <laughs> like, I remember enjoying that game so much, we got into a little bicker with a Cubs fan for some reason. Uh, <laughs> and eventually, like, I had to try to make peace with him because my brother was getting a little too riled up. Uh, and on the way home, my alternator went out and my <laughs> car died on the freeway. Oh, wow. Uh, the other ones would be uh, the CC's first game after the trade. Okay, I was just going to say that the CC game, I was there too. and Pure yeah. playoff atmosphere. It was pure like electric energy. Everyone in the stadium was thrilled. And like it was just like an, an environment like none other for a game in the middle of July. Yeah, there uh, was a buzz in the building in a way that the only other time I've experienced it was uh, Badgers illinois game from i think 2005 when illinois was number one in the country and the badgers beat him right at the Kohl center oh, i remember wow. walking into the building you know a half hour even before like tip off and there being a buzz and it was the same way at miller park that night like you just there was like an energy to it that you just you know you could feel yeah. it was palpable every everything that everyone had known to be true about the brewers changed with that trade that that energy kind of carried through every single one of his starts then too is kind of something to behold really and another game that was just a really, really fun game was July 4th, 2018. Between Nate Orr's first home run, Keon oh, that's the robbing, game. Yep, okay. yeah. robbing the homer in center field. There was just a lot of fun things that came together to make that an enjoyable game. Chase Anderson had a fantastic start. Uh, Jeffress blows the save where could, I think Nabel allows the run. So it ends up being a close game against the Minnesota Twins, which is always a fun rivalry compared to all the somewhat overly passionate rivalries that <laughs> work their way into Miller Park. Exactly. So yeah. it was just really enjoyable in all facets and really hot, really hot. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I. it's crazy how some of those best games to be at involve some of those things that would drive you nuts if you were walking, watching at home. Like I'm pretty sure I was watching that game at home and was pissed off about the blown save and, Oh God, here we go again, kind of thing. Uh, but when you're there, it, it kind of leads to that moment. I think I had a similar game. I can't remember the exact year, but I think it was like an interleague game against the Orioles. Uh, I, I really wanted to see Derek Turnbow, but uh, the Brewers jumped out to a giant lead. So it was sort of like, okay, so we won't get to see him. And then inevitably the, the bullpen collapsed and I got to see him anyway. And, it, you know, it was one of those games where it was super probably stressful to watch at home, maybe even irritating. But when you're in the building, it it is, you know, it, it's part of that experience. I guess my more traditional awesome game to be at would be last year. I know I brought it up a couple of times on the pod here, and I know a couple of the other guys uh, were in the building too, but it was the... Uh, opening weekend against the Cardinals. It was Corbin Burns' first start. So that was fun to see the nine or ten strikeouts in a row. Uh, and then what happened? And then, oh, boy. Well, the, the middle parts were, were less fun, but it led to, you know, kind of to my point, it led to a really memorable ninth inning. You know, I, I work stupid hours where I have to be up at 1.30 in the morning. This is a Sunday afternoon game, so I'm like, I really need to get back to Madison, but this is close. Let's just stay for the bottom of the ninth inning. And it ended up being a Christian Yelich walk-off, so uh, single. So that was a super memorable thing. I got maybe four hours of sleep that night, but uh, totally worth it. And definitely one of the more memorable 
memorable games I've been at. So it's amazing how much more rewarding walk-offs are in person. Like they're still incredibly right. enjoyable watching it from your couch, but when you're at a walk-off, it just is so energizing and exciting. It really, it makes it feel like a historic game, even though, you know, how many walk-offs did they have last year? Right. right. <laughs> Maybe it's, is it the self-validation where it's like half the other people in the stadium started leaving, but it's like, damn it, I stayed for the bottom of the ninth inning and I got rewarded for that. Like, oh, there's definitely some of that. Of yeah, there's yeah. definitely some of that. You know, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of games like that, I think, in, in our memory banks, too. So uh, thanks for the question, Jay. Well, something else we wanted to do this week uh, to kind of have some fun here and, and kind of, you know, BS, if you will. Uh, Ryan had this cool idea of putting together a little, a little game here. So we're going to play Guess the Mystery Brewer based on all of his clues and in, in comments here. So, Ryan, how about you uh, take it away? Yeah, so fair play to to JP, who originally brought this. We did this a few times really early in the podcast. And I didn't know at the time because I hadn't started listening to the podcast that he took the idea from, but I have since. So basically what this is, is you're going to get a series of clues. And after I read a clue, you just got to say stop and then give your guess if you you want to take a shot. Okay. So we're going to do two of these. Actually, I have I've prepared two because I wasn't sure exactly how quickly they were going to go. So already. All right. The first one was born on June 6th, 1972. He was born in Robstown, Texas. Your second clue. He played at the University of Texas at Austin. Nothing yet. All right. I don't know where anybody was yeah. born, how old anybody was, or where they went to college. So, all right. Well, I, I have a few Longhorns in mind, but I, I don't want to. You don't want to jump it, just but, yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was drafted by the Cubs, tenth overall in 1993. That would be tenth overall in the first round. All right. He made his okay. big league debut with the Cubs on April 3rd, 1996. It sucks because there's so many people just screaming at their phones or listening I'm to sure, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> exactly. This to be is, clear, uh, we're, we're not Googling either. This is, so. Yeah, we're not Googling, and this is not my wheelhouse, frankly. So I, I, have, uh, not, I have a guess. Well, go ahead and take your guess. Just go ahead and take the shot. All right. Brooks Kieschnick. It is Brooks Kieschnick. Yes. Ah! <laughs> you, are, you are correct. The next clues would have maybe made it a little bit more obvious. Uh, he played in Cincinnati in 2000 and Colorado in 2001. I had no idea he played there. So I didn't no. either. That wow. was when I was I was testing this out with my friend Jay to see what he would get, and he actually got it on that clue. That was where okay. he he interesting sent me the okay. message saying that he got that. Uh, the funny it, thing is, before this started, I thought one's got to be Brooke Kieschnick. <laughs> <laughs> it was maybe a little too obvious on that. I I had to I rearrange think, the second one a little bit, but the other clues I was going to give, and this is where it should have given it away, was he posted a 149 OPS plus in his first season in Milwaukee in 2003, and posted yeah. a 377 ERA in 43 ERA, innings okay. in yeah. 2004. That was yeah, that was the point where there would be no doubt at that point. So, yeah. all right, so James to gets be, the win fair, on number one. Yeah. Yeah, to be fair, the only two uh, Texas Longhorns to play for the Brewers I could think of were uh, Kieschnick and Taylor Youngman. So, 
Yeah, was the other one, but or was the one I thought of right away. But I knew he was. I quickly did the math on how old yeah. this person was, and I was like, yeah. nope. <laughs> All right. All cool. right. Good stuff. So the next one, we're going to go into the Wayback Machine here. Uh, number two was born November 28th, 1953. Uh, right. He debuted September 10th, 1974 for the Brewers. Milwaukee is the only American League team he ever played for. Oh, that's a tricky one there. Oh, American League team. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He also played in Pittsburgh, San Diego, St. Louis, and Philadelphia. He accumulated 28.3 career baseball reference war. Wow, no guesses yet. Wait, so when I, did he make his debut again? I'm sorry. 1974. September okay. 1974. He finished 15th in MVP voting in 1979. Oh, I just uh, did this article. Uh, uh, and I need, I need to, I can't remember. Did I hear a stop from, I I from Brad? Yes. Who do you got? Who is George Scott? George Scott is incorrect, but a good no. general guess. Yeah. It's the I only think a, brewer I confidently know. <laughs> I think Scott's a little bit older, a little bit older than that, but right. yeah, that's a pretty good so guess. So I just did this article for Brew Crew Ball looking at some of the best forgotten teams. I, and I did I the 78 and 79 Brewers. Yeah. I even uh, read so it I to work this off one. So, so, you, so you know? I should in theory know, but I'm forgetting in the moment. Because you specifically uh, mentioned who their best hitter and their best pitcher are. And I think I remember mentioning finishing 15th in the MVP voting. And now I can't (laughs) think of the name. Uh, So I'll I'll take a guess, Ryan. Yeah, go ahead. uh, Sixto Lascano? It is Sixto Lascano, yes. Nice. Uh, So my next clue is going to be he was once traded for Ozzie Smith. And that was the trade that sent him from St. Louis after he'd been traded to St. Louis in the Pete Vukovic uh oh yeah yeah raleigh fingers Fingers and uh ted simmons trade so but he was then traded for for ozzy smith to san diego so that was that was one of the uh clues and then i i bumped his birthplace because i felt like it was just going to give it away he was born in arecibo puerto rico right so i figured that was because there just aren't that many big time brewers who were Rico, well, really, yeah. anybody born internationally at that time. Yeah, that, that's true. Like, yeah. it, that basically eliminates it down to 70s. one. Once we know that the guy had 28. And again, Indeed. 28.6 career war. Sixto Lascano, who Steve uh, Garshinsky was almost named after, is the, the family legend I've heard. So Lascano Garshinsky? <laughs> he, he was going to be, well, though, he was going to be Sixto. Wow. But his, his dad <laughs> lost that battle. So that's what I heard. That's, like that's the legend. The All right. Well, I, I can't. I accidentally researched that one, so I don't know if I'll claim that victory, but okay, cool. <laughs> I still think George Scott was right in Ryan's mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's fun. You, so you didn't have any others, did you, Ryan? You, nope, you not, not for this week, though. Yeah. We could, uh, if people want to submit these and you kind of get the idea of you want to make it progressively a little bit easier, a little bit easier to, to kind of give it away, if you want to uh, come up with your own and send them in, go right ahead. 
I'd be I just think that it's like the two eras of the Brewers that I was the least familiar with. Like mid nineties uh and seventies are like the eras where I'm like people played for them. <laughs> <laughs> they were yeah. for sure a team. Yeah, it, it's easy to to forget about the the seventies team, and I know we make fun of Ryan for being old whenever he brings those up. But uh, <laughs> well, Paul watched all of them in person. Well, not that old. Wow. wow. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's kind of interesting to look back and see. And you know, I like I mentioned, I, I actually kind of did this in the last week. Uh, SB Nation kind of had the whole uh, best teams to never win a championship thing. So it was kind of a good excuse. You know, at, at BCB, we kind of expanded it because obviously the Brewers have only had maybe two or three teams in their history capable of winning a world title. Uh, so we stayed away from those. I uh, kind of looked at some of the, the uh, lesser known ones. So I, I looked yeah. at the late 70s teams, which were like, the first really good teams in team history. Oh, so that 78, 79, those two teams were incredible and just played in really, really tough divisions. They were in the, right. the AL East and it just, you know, they were dealing with uh, some peak Yankees, Red Sox, Orioles teams that were just fantastic. And as James right. mentioned, it was right after they got moved out of the AL West. Yeah. Yep. One, of, one of Ryan's points too. Yeah. If they had ever stayed in the West, they'd probably they would have won a bunch more. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, then, yeah, I did 87, and that was also a really fun team. I mean, it was like the team of streaks. You know, they had the 13-game exactly. winning streak that opens the season. You have the 39-game hitting streak from Molitor. He probably wins MVP if he doesn't miss basically all of May. Yeah, yeah. quite possibly. That's another good year. And actually, to give a little shout-out on that, uh, J.R. Radcliffe, who co-hosts with Paul and has been on here a bunch of times, uh, did a thing about team streak with Tom Hottercourt on their podcast. So if you would like to listen to that, I would strongly recommend that as well. Cause I just listened to it this morning. Well, yeah. I just did it all like right here. So. Li- <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, it, you know, especially these times, it's kind of fun to take a look back and, and watch all those brewers classics that they're showing on TV and kind of look at those numbers too. So uh, we do have a couple of new patrons who will have the opportunity to ask questions in the coming weeks. Ryan, do you want to give a shout out to our, our newcomers here? Yes, yeah, so we have uh, Jeremy Holbrook, who Paul was talking about as a, a friend of his. So thank you uh, to Jeremy. And then we have Spence and Spence didn't give us the last name. So he joins the 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 pantheon of the great one namers that we have as just uh, Spence. Yeah, yeah, just Spence, just plain Spence. So, uh, yeah, thank you to you guys for uh, jumping on board here. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and, and like we talked about, there's a ton of new content coming this week, especially from Paul's side with the NFL draft. So if you want to get in on that, just go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate and sign up. And on the plus side, you'll you'll get the question priority here on this podcast and you'll get a shout out from Ryan. Something else we want to talk about too with everything kind of going on, we want to chip in and do our part and and make a donation and help people who are struggling right now. So Ryan, do you want to give the details of that as well? Yeah, thank you, James. So we started talking about this a few weeks ago, trying to figure out what we could do as a podcast to help out the community and give back after all the incredible support we've gotten from our listeners over the last couple of years. As you probably know, food banks are struggling to deal with the tremendous upsurge in demand for their services over the past month or so and could really use any help that people are capable of giving. So what we've decided to do is to help them raise some money by offering to match any donation that you make to your local food pantry by giving to the Milwaukee chapter of Hunger Task Force. 
they've been around since 1974 and receive a 89 out of 100 score from charitynavigator.org, making it a well-respected charity that uses its resources primarily to help people in the community. So here's how this is going to work. For any donation that you give to your local food bank, hunger task force or otherwise, depending on where you live, doesn't matter, we'll match up to $500 total on our end. You give your money directly to the food bank of your choice and send us the receipt and we'll match until we hit that $500 limit. I want to be really clear here. Please do not send us any money directly. Just give to your food bank and screen cap that receipt and we'll take care of it. Giving money to Hunger Task Force specifically is really easy. I did it a few weeks ago online and it took just a few minutes and I received a thank you call the next day from a very grateful worker at the food pantry. I personally earmarked my money for emergency food, and we'll do that with our donation as well, but you can give however you see fit. There's other options as well. As long as it's a reputable nonprofit food bank, we don't care. Also, we understand that not everyone is in a position to give cash at this time, so if you want to donate some extra food that you have around the house instead, take a pick, estimate the value of the food, and we'll match that. If you decide to give of your time instead and volunteer at a food pantry, we'll donate $10 for every hour that you work as well. Whatever works. We want to make this as easy as possible to help out and to get to that $500. We really we want to we want to give this full $500. So, whatever it takes to get there, that's what we want to do. You can email whatever proof of donation you have to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Send it via Twitter to us at MKE Tailgate, and you can also do that in the direct, yeah, the uh, direct messages if you feel more comfortable doing it that way. That's fine as well. And you could also send it to our Patreon page. Please contact us with any questions that you might have. Thank you for listening and giving consideration to helping however you can. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We're we're all in this together, right? So we want to do our part to kind of help the communities that we're into, not just Milwaukee, as Ryan said, if you're listening wherever you are, not, not even in Wisconsin, wherever you are, if you can, please do. You know, every little bit counts, too. If you've just got five laying around, like, and we will match that, too. So, you know, we want to help do our part too, whether it's, you know, giving back monetarily or just doing these podcasts, you know, without baseball going on. We're, we're kind of scraping for topics to talk about sometimes, but we still want to provide that entertainment for you guys to, you know, take your mind off things for about an hour or so every week. So we do appreciate that. Appreciate you supporting us. We will appreciate any donations that you, you give to those food banks. Um, and while you're at it, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere else you listen to your podcast, do subscribe. And while you're there, leave a rating, tell your friends, uh, pass it along, and we would much appreciate that. And it would help other people find the podcast, too. And, you know, the more the merrier here. <laughs> and we'll, we're always looking for, for new listeners. And especially now with this donation challenge, you know, the more the merrier, the more people that can get the word out to, the better. So we appreciate all that support. Uh, thanks again for listening this week. And we will see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Stay well, everybody. Stay well, everybody.